Hello, and welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. You can find all of my written reviews at that website, qwipster.net. I've uh, been off for a few days, and but I have seen a few movies, which I'll be talking about within the next couple of days as well. One of them is the movie I'm about to review next. It's Ant-Man. It's the latest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and kind of works as a standalone film, although there are some tie-ins in order to incorporate him into the Avengers uh, universe, potentially becoming a member of the Avengers, one would think. It's a uh, action sci-fi film. It's PG-13 for science fiction action violence. I would say that this is probably, of all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films thus far, I would say this is probably the most kid-friendly. It runs one hour and 57 minutes, which I've been told is the shortest of the (laughs) Marvel Cinematic Universe films. I haven't done the research on it, but uh, that's what I've heard. Uh, Paul Rudd is the star, uh, and Michael Douglas, Evangeline Lilly, Corey Stoll, Michael Pena, T.I., Bobby Cannavale, and Judy Greer get supporting roles, along with uh, a few other notable cameo appearances, which I will not ruin here. Uh, Peyton Reed is the director, and uh, wasn't the original director slated to uh, to helm the film. Uh, the original director was, and the person who was developing it for many, many years, I think since 2006, Edgar Wright, uh, was supposed to be the director and then dropped out sometime in 2014 due to creative differences with the powers that be at Marvel, Disney. Um, but Edgar Wright's screenplay, uh, for the most part, still remains at least a, a good chunk of it, enough to get Edgar Wright a screenplay credit along with collaborating partner Joe Cornish. Adam McKay, uh, longtime collaborator with uh, Will Ferrell and many of his movies, uh, and they also produce m- films together with Gary Sanchez Productions. He uh, was brought in to do some uh, rewrites, and Paul Rudd, who also has worked with McKay uh, in quite a few films, uh, also gets a screenwriting credit for, uh, for I guess, beefing up some of the uh, th- the scenes that they needed to get in the film in order to tie it in more with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is something that Edgar Wright did not really take into account, given that uh, Ant-Man from Inception uh, almost predated the Cinematic Universe and the whole uh, means to tie in every movie into it. So Ant-Man as a film is a bit of a, uh, kind of an also-ran in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It doesn't really have that ready-made name recognition that you would get from the rest of the Avengers, but it does tie in with the overall story arc of the MCU, which I think should be enough for most of the Marvel fans to be reasonably interested in seeing where it goes. Even if they might not be as ecstatic about the property, to think it might have done well enough as a complete standalone adventure... Non-Marvel zombies may be interested to know that with the exception of a few obligatory Avengers tie-ins, which are not overbearing, Ant-Man mostly plays as a standalone film. So do you have to see all of the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films in order to appreciate it? It helps a little bit because there are some scenes that may not necessarily make as much sense uh, without that knowledge of the Avengers. But... 
I could see somebody enjoying this completely on its own and getting it for the most part because I think that those little tie-ins are more uh, offshoots that don't ha- don't tie into the actual plot of the film and they don't dwell on them for very long either. And if you're not into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're probably not going to stick around through the end credits to see the scenes that uh, eventually do tie in more directly. Now, in the film, there's actually more than one Ant-Man. We start with the original, Dr. Hank Pym, who's played by Michael Douglas. He's a leading scientist, and he's a, the, uh, the inventor of something he has dubbed the Pym Particle. And that particle allows things, objects, including people, to shrink down to uh, miniature size uh, or ant size, uh, or even beyond that, although it gets more dangerous the smaller you get. Uh, but also retaining the, the strength of uh, the original uh, object or, or person. So through this uh, series of ingenious plays, Pym manages to get his ant suit um, into the hands of a resourceful but jobless because he can't retain a job because of his past, a cat burglar named Scott Lang, who's played by Paul Rudd. Uh, Lang is recently... Re- released from prison for theft on a corporate scale, though uh, in a way he's kind of an anti-hero in that capacity. He returned the money that the company had originally bilked from its customers and returned it back to them. So, um, you know, whether or not you find that him to be a bad guy uh, with a bad history, that's up to you. He did break the law, but he did it for what he felt was noble intentions. Now, the reason for the ruse of... Uh, Pym getting Scott Lang uh, his hands on the Ant-Man costume is that Pym wants Lang to thwart the plans of his power-hungry former protege, a man named Darren Cross, who's played by Corey Stoll. Cross wants to use Pym's designs uh, for the Ant-Man suit and his Pym particle to create his own method to shrink people down to miniature size specifically in the form of a flying weaponized suit uh, that looks like a yellow jacket, uh, which he aims to to use for nefarious world-altering purposes. Now, Pym's shrewd and scrappy daughter, Hope, who's played by Evangeline Lilly, still works in the company Undercross, which gives them the inside knowledge that they need for Lang to breach Cross's tight security and stop the yellow jacket project before it disrupts global warfare, as we know it. Whereas other untested Marvel property, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, won over audiences with its irreverent charm, funny and likable characters, and a toe-tapping soundtrack, Ant-Man is more content to deliver on a broadly goofy and blatantly corny sensibility that makes it feel like it's aiming for a younger set than the other MCU releases, even though it still does garner a PG-13 rating for its violence. It's not a film that seeks to deliver any modicum of high-stakes seriousness, and unlike the Captain America films, this one's not trying to comment on the political climate of the world. If it makes you smile and keeps your attention, the makers of Ant-Man would probably feel like they've done their job properly in what amounts to a genial heist comedy with superhero ambitions. The screenplay, as I mentioned, had been originally scripted by Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish, with Wright, who had cultivated the vision of Ant-Man for years, intending to direct, but creative differences saw divorce from the project. Marvel 
over the years since uh, Wright had started working on it, had become more controlling as far as the vision of where the MCU was to go, and they wanted to incorporate the film more directly into the Avengers scope, something that Wright wasn't really willing to take into account without... Uh, without doing it his way, and Marvel eventually started to do rewrites without uh, Wright's knowledge and tried to inject it in there, which automatically meant that Wright wanted to walk because he wasn't getting full uh, creative input on it. In a sense, Marvel had become like the queen ant that expected its workers to keep the colony running smoothly, Uh, but uh, Wright is much more of an independent player. He's not really willing to be part of the colony fully. He wants to be as much a queen ant as Marvel in terms of where this project would go since it's his, you know, he had spent so much time working on it. This led to rewrites by Adam McKay and eventually Paul Rudd himself during the filming. And while, uh, they brought in, uh, it, to replace Wright, Peyton Reed, who's kind of a fluff comedy veteran. He's directed such things as Bring It On and, and Down With Love and uh, a host of other, Holy Man and a host of other uh, films that, or I, I should say Yes Man, <laughs> a host of other films that are slight, mild, uh, amusing comedies, but nothing really earth-shattering, nothing on the, on the kind of level that you might find from uh, Edgar Wright. Now, Ed, you know, Peyton Reed would obviously uh, sand off some of the more uh, rough edges that Wright is typically known for in order to make it go down easy for a mass audience. I think Wright would have been a very... uh, He had the potential to make it very good for a a solid audience, but I think that it wouldn't have had that kind of broad across-the-board appeal that Marvel is tends to be seeking nowadays because of the amount of money that they put into the projects, and they definitely don't want to derail this uh, steam engine they have running at full speed in the MCU. Reed had been brought in to mold this film more in the shape that Marvel Studios had been seeking, and I think that, generally speaking, I, I, I think that Marvel is probably pretty content with where things lie, even though it may not have that kind of a the gravitas that other Marvel films have. While Reed does enough to hold the fort down, Wright is a comedic visionary who has proven to be able to tackle wild science fiction and action concepts, and he often finds brilliant new wrinkles while also paying a great deal of homage to his inspiration. Ant-Man is still an entertaining enough watch and has some eye-popping visual zip, but it's hard not to be disappointed that we won't see what might have been with Wright at the helm. As a comedy, Ant-Man might make you smirk or lightly chuckle on a couple of occasions, mostly due to a few low-scale, size-related sight gags, but I think it's doubtful that you'll be quoting the film for its hilarious one-liners once you leave the theater. It's not written at that level. It's generally trying to uh, keep you in a good mood and not try to push too hard. Now, Rudd, who, despite having a co-screenwriting credit, he mostly subdues his uh, typical smart-ass rascal persona a bit here to be much more approachable and likable hero. He's a little bit vanilla, and uh, I think that that's important for the character who's not given a lot of background other than this you know this criminal history he's more motivated by affairs of the heart such as you know the the main thrust of why he does what he does in this film 
is potentially to restore his relationship with the daughter that he couldn't see while he was spending years in prison. And he's not really doing living a life of crime just for the sake of doing crime. He only does it in, because he has nowhere else to go. Michael Douglas delivers his most appealing and commercial performance in many years in a role that parallels the one given to Rudd in that he's trying to establish a connection with his own estranged daughter. Uh, though in the case of Pym, he was too controlling of his daughter in keeping her from doing what she really wanted to do, whereas Rudd's character of Scott Lang just wasn't there altogether to be able to do have any say in what his you know, who his daughter is. Corey Stoll does give a solid performance as the film's heavy, even if this role that he's given is a bit generic. And it, if I had to draw any parallels to other films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would say that Corey Stoll's role feels a lot more like Obadiah Stane, the Jeff Bridges character in the original Iron Man film. And it also has a similar, similar to that Iron Man film, the good guy and bad guy compete in a battle in a very prolonged climax in which you have both hero and villain using similar technology. Uh, and off, the, the villain has more powerful one, but the, uh, the, the hero is much more resourceful in their technological suits that they, they battle with. Though the yellow jacket suit is clearly more powerful, Pym shows Lang a particularly key piece of tech that makes him infinitely more resourceful in the device that because it, it allows its wearer to use mind control to uh, to direct various kinds of ants uh, from all over the world to do his bidding. So he's kind of got this ant network at his disposal to help him not only in battles but to infiltrate places and to watch and monitor. I mean, they're everywhere. So there's a there's a whole lot of power that can be derived from that particular device. Evangeline Lilly does have a fetching presence, and she does a pretty good job with a performance that entertains with a much more physical approach because she is an excellent fighter as well. But she's not given a great deal to do in this film, but to be manipulated by the men around her, which does it does factor into her. Uh, her persona in the film, which is she can do everything that the men can do, but better, but the men around her seem to be holding her down. And I guess you can draw parallels to the superhero genre of films as a whole. It seems like there are many women who could do as well as men in terms of a uh, having their own film, but yet uh, men are just much more cautious with women and, and keep them down, uh, at least so far. We'll see what happens when Wonder Woman or, or the Captain Marvel films come out. Now, Lily's character uh, retains an independent spirit that allows her a modicum of breathing room. And given where the film ultimately will go, probably for future releases, I'm guessing she'll get her time to shine uh, uh, Scott Lang also has uh, three uh, partners in crime. They're basically like the Three Stooges, uh, played by Michael Pena, T.I., the, the rapper turned actor. Uh, I guess he's still a rapper. And um, a, uh, a adopting a Russian accent, David Dostmalchian, in the film. And they are uh, there for... Primarily for a comic relief, not really uh, 
you know, they're, they're there in order to keep the, the, the tone of the film buoyant and light and to inject humor during the action scenes where there probably wouldn't have been any if we just followed Scott Lang. Because Scott Lang is kind of drab. He's not really there for to provide all of the, the punchy one-liners. So uh, he kind of shares the, the screen time with that. They're, the characters are, are written to be dumb as rocks and are so cartoonish. Uh, it, it makes it, it kind of reminds me of the supporting players that you find in the, the, uh, the Thor series, you know, the, these kind of bumbling sidekicks that are, are around Thor. So you couldn't really see them beyond the role of comic relief. They don't really, you know, there's not a lot of nuance to them. They, they're very one note. Meanwhile, Bobby Cannavale is kind of wasted in a role that doubles as both hapless husband to Lang's ex and also a father to Lang's daughter, uh, or stepfather, I should say. And the, he's also the, the kind of the, the main face of the police officers there because he's also a police officer. So, uh, whenever there's, uh, trouble happening somehow, Conveniently, for the purpose of the film, uh, Cannavale's character seems to be the first cop on the scene, no matter where it takes place. Ant-Man, it feels like the slightest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the smallest one, no pun intended. It's a bit of a throwback to, if I had to compare it to not only other films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but just comic-based films in general. It, it reminds me of a release that you might have found in the, the 1990s, such as non-Marvel-related films like The Rocketeer or The Phantom, where they have a lot of silly characterizations and a goofball charm. It never really tries to to do too much other than to entertain. However, after the bloated, big-scale release that was Avengers Age of Ultron just a few months ago, it is kind of a, a good palate cleanser for Marvel to make a smaller scale superhero flick instead of continuously trying to one-up each uh, one with more and more spectacle, which I think would get very tiresome. And I think would so it's good to, to scale back and to kind of keep things small and big and small and big, which <laughs> again, I'm not trying to be uh, injecting any puns into this film review as much as I can. Now, viewers expecting another surprise in the mold of, say, Guardians of the Galaxy, you're not going to get it here. But Ant-Man isn't really a movie that seeks to do more than to introduce a new hero into the Avengers universe, and specifically one that will add comedy to the team. And also, it tries to be likable enough for all demographics and not sour on the Marvel properties in the meantime. It, it basically is just there to, to keep the pace at, that Marvel is at. It's not going to actually accelerate things. You know, you're not going to come out of this. If, if you've already started to lose interest, this is not going to be the film that gets you back. But if you're still a, a Marvel uh, zealot, as I am and many people are for, for continuing this Marvel universe, it certainly is uh, is good enough in order to keep your interest and to be amiable and entertaining. It, ultimately, it's a second-tier Marvel film, but I think that it's successful on its goals, and that makes Ant-Man a success, even if it's not going to garner a billion dollars in the worldwide box office the way Guardians of the Galaxy did. So I'm going to give Ant-Man three stars out of five, putting it in the lower echelon of the 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe films. I'd rank it down there with Thor 
and its sequel and Iron Man sequels and um, and basically those sorts of things. I would put it also uh, on range with Avengers Age of Ultron, even though th- th- they're completely different films in terms of their scale. Um, but in terms of their success, it's it's their it belongs to the the ranking of Marvel films that aren't really at the forefront of su- how good superhero films can be. But generally speaking, if you like these kinds of movies, um, it will probably meet well with you. As I alluded to earlier, there's also if for those of you who are wondering if you should you should stick around as with almost or as with all of the Marvel Cinematic Universes universe film so far there is a short mid credits scene that ties in with where things are going to go and unlike avengers age of ultron which uh was missing an end credit stinger too much to the uh the chagrin of people who stuck around for many 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 minutes while uh, a countless horde of uh, special effects and sound effects people were listed there is an end credit stinger uh, and it is probably worth sticking around for if you've stuck around for all of them so far. So I just mentioned that so that you know going in what to expect, even though I won't tell you <laughs> what they're about. So until next time, thank you everyone for listening. I appreciate that. Uh, if you have clicked the subscribe button, I thank you highly as well. Those of you who have been leaving me reviews uh, on the on iTunes, I really thank you, and I and if you haven't done so already, I fully encourage you. If you happen to be on the iTunes page for the Quipster Film Review Podcast, um, go ahead and click a star rating. And if you want to say a few words about what you think of the show, uh, I would greatly appreciate that as well. If you're on Twitter, please follow me at Quipster. If you're on Facebook, if you have a Facebook page, go ahead and like my page at facebook.com/quipster.net. And you can write to me directly if you have anything that you want to tell me at um, g- uh, quipster at gmail.com. And all of the information that I've just mentioned you can find at my website, quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R is how you spell quipster in any of those forms. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope that if you go see Ant-Man that you're entertained enough and that you, you know, don't go in with super high expectations. But I... Uh, I found it entertaining, and I I would probably watch it again in this video. So, anyway, until next time, thank you, everyone. Enjoy your time at the movies.